Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Chorin. Joining me every single week is Robert Silva. Robert, how are you doing? Good evening, Carlos, and welcome, Fight fans, as we have another packed episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. Yes, we do. And before we're going to get into it, first of all, thank you so much to every single one of you who tune into the podcast every single week and to the rest of the shows on the Fight Game Media Network, not just on here on the uh, on the free version, I, I, I should say, but also on the Patreon. Not too long ago, we reached a, I would say, a very important milestone. We got to... We not too long ago we got to triple digits and we appreciate every single one of you who tune into the podcast and to the Patreon as well and also read our work at fightgamemedia.com our written work I should say and so now this past weekend was a very interesting one it was well there were two notable boxing cards one was the top rank card with Xavier Martinez and Robson Konsecao uh, uh, in a WBC Super Featherweight title eliminator. But I guess the one that really has had people very curious about, and one that I actually went to, was the Don King card. Yes, you heard me right. Don King promoted a card in 2022 in Warren, Ohio, just a little bit. It's about an hour from where I live. And this was a very, very interesting one. It was a $50 pay-per-view for those of you who were not in attendance at the WD Packard Music Hall in Warren, Ohio. And it was headlined by the rematch between Ilonga Makabu and Tabuso Nkunu for the WBC Cruiserweight title. A fight seven years in the making. And this fight was very, very different. For those of you who listened to last week's show where we kind of did a recap and a look back at or at the first fight that those two had back in 2015, this was a very, very different fight from that one. It was uh, a lot. It was it, first of all, it went the distance, which I actually was very surprised about. And it ended with. Lunga Makabu scoring a controversial decision victory over Tabaso Nkunu, which is probably not what a lot of people expected. It, a lot of people thought that, you know, Makabu was going to dominate this fight with the stronger guy, and he had Nkunu's number in the first fight. But this was very different. It was, um, it ended with a split decision victory. And Mkunu really dominated the second half of the fight, at least from what from mm-hmm. from my perspective. Mm-hmm. It was yep. 
Makabu was the guy who who is starting to fight a lot more flat-footed. He, his stamina just wasn't there. He wasn't really landing anything hard. The first half of the fight, I or I should say the first seven rounds, I had Makabu slightly ahead, like 43. And I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. Say uh, on when I when I was sharing my thoughts as the fight progressed, I, but I genuinely thought Makabu when I was watching the fight that Makabu that his aggression was you know enough that was winning him rounds and not like Mkunu was landing anything major at the time, but the last five rounds or so you can maybe even argue the last six rounds, Mkunu was landing so many clean shots, especially with the right hand. Makabu's you know. For pressing the action was not good. He wasn't really doing anything that was hurting Mkunu. And it ultimately ended with a split decision victory for Makabu. 115, 113, uh, one, uh, one for each. And then 116, 112 for Makabu. And after the fight... Makabu calls out Canelo Alvarez. At this point, I'd be very, very surprised if Makabu's name was even in play for Canelo Alvarez. But I don't know if you got a chance to see this fight, Robert. But uh, this was this was a very first of all. I don't think the fight was nearly as good as the first fight no. was. No, no, no comparison. Uh, a bit of a role reversal. Remember the fight. The first fight that we reviewed last week, Mchunu dominated the first half. Makabu dominated the second half before knocking him out. This fight, I agree with you, Carlos. I had Makabu slight edge in the first six rounds. I gave five of the last six rounds to Mchunu. I had it 116-112. Mchunu, I believe that's the same scorecard you had. This was a robbery. This was a highway fucking robbery. Makabu got out of Dodge, got out of Ohio, went back to Africa with a robbery, and uh, he shouldn't be looking towards Canelo. Uh, he should be thinking about retirement because he's lost more than a step. He's lost four or five. I can see why Canelo was considering fighting him because uh, it would be an easy cruiserweight championship to add to his legend. But like Carlos said, that fight's not happening. Yeah, and but here's the thing. But the thing about all this is that, I mean, first of all, yes, Makabu. This is easily Makabu's worst performance by a long yeah. shot for a very, very in a long time. But here's the thing: it almost felt like Makabu just kind of got old, like overnight. Because yep. yep. his Agre- last yep. few fights, he looked nothing like what what I saw. He he was. He, you know, he wasn't he wasn't cutting off the ring. He wasn't he didn't show that same explosiveness, that same motor that we accustomed to seeing right. go deep into fights. It just wasn't there. It it just felt like Makabu hit a wall, and he was very very lucky to escape with that score uh, with, with his title. I was very surprised that Steve Weisfeld Steve Weisfeld had an off night. Uh, on that show. Let, he, let me tell you, Carlos, in many, many big fights throughout his career, he's had off nights. He's a very overrated uh, judge. Very overrated. I know HBO hired him at one time to be their uh, scorer 
their unofficial scorer when Letterman couldn't do the shows. He's overrated. Uh, once again, he spit the bit. What was he looking at, Carlos? I don't understand this. I generally didn't know. I don't know where he got because this is the problem. He right. It's safe to say that at the very least, Makabu. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Inkunu won the last five rounds. Yes. So that would mean, and I have not seen uh, Steve Weinsfeld's scorecard, but that would mean if we're really looking at this, who should have won the fight? That means he thought Makabu won the first seven rounds. Which, which I highly which I, disagree. I admit, which you you can't you can't make an argument that he won the first seven rounds. It's ridiculous. And even though I, based on what I've been reading on social media, I was in the minority in thinking Makabu was ahead heading into the seventh round. There's no way in hell I thought Makabu won this fight. It was a seven five eight to four type of fight for Mkunu. And if you really want to give it to him, it was a 9-3. At worst, it was a 6-6. And even then, I think 6-6 is uh, not good. This this fight, Michael, uh, if Chuda won anywhere from 7 to 9 rounds, uh, there's no way he only won 6 rounds. He dominated the, the last 5 rounds. Makabu did nothing. Nothing. Nada. You got... If he got If he won any of those 5 rounds, that alone is a robbery. I, I don't understand it. It, it was poor him, poor him, because this is probably his last shot at winning a world uh, title. And here's the thing the other fight, the other title fight, quote unquote, world title fight on the card, uh, Trevor Ryan versus Jonathan Guidry ended in a split decision. The only one who had Guidry winning was Steve Weitzfeld. 115-112. I, I told you he's over. Maybe he yeah, thought that was, was Ron Maybe he thought that was Ron Gidry throwing sliders back in 1980 for the New York Yankees. I don't know what the hell he was watching. So, I mean, on the topic of Trevor Bryan versus Jonathan Gidry, I mean, first of all, a little surprised this ended up being the best fight of the night. And first of all, kudos to Jonathan Gidry, who gave, who fought his heart out against Trevor Bryan made for a very I good didn't, fight. I didn't see the fight. I was following your tweets because I was watching the ESPN card at that point in time. And according to your tweets, it sounded like a very entertaining fight. It was a surprisingly good fight. It was a, you know, it was a lot more than what you would have honestly expected on paper. Gedry came to fight. It, he it, essentially, it was a mostly Trevor Bryan fight where Brian and Gidry were just throwing hammers at each other. No, nothing to the body, everything to the chin. Brian was a lot bigger, taller, I should say, than Jonathan Gidry. And these guys were throwing hooks at each other's chin throughout the night. Trevor Brian basically won the exchanges like 60 40 for like 9 10 of the rounds. But the second half of the fight. Brian was just hurting Gidry multiple times. And amazingly, Gidry just did not go down. He refused to go down. His, he had a ton of heart. His chin was real damn impressive. He got dropped in the final seconds of the fight. But there was a small bit of victory in Gidry in going the distance, doing so much better than really everyone could have possibly have imagined 
Brian, the way Carlos described this fight, how the hell does Weisfeld have him winning? I, I don't understand it, including the knockdown. Yes, he, so Gedrick got dropped in the 12th round, and scores were 116-111, 118-109, and then Weisfeld with the 112-115 scorecard. I can't say so I was... He had, so he had Gidry winning eight rounds. So I don't know where Weisfeld got eight rounds, much less six, maybe much less five Maybe much less four. I thought this was maybe like a 9-3. I didn't score the fight Ryan Bowery round. But if you had told me you had scored that fight 116-111 all the way to, well, 118-109 in favor of Brian, I had no problem with it. Had absolutely no hey, problem. The, the way you were tweeting round by round, it sounded like an 8-4-9-3 type decision. Because you were very you were competitive, gi- but because you were giving analysis without saying who you thought won the round, mm-hmm. and you would in, in eight or nine of the rounds, it was like, "Hey, Gidry's holding on. Gidry's showing toughness, but Brian is dominating." You would say stuff like that. And then, of course, the twelfth round, you mentioned a knockdown. Uh, anywhere from one sixteen, one eleven to one eighteen, one o nine sounded. I didn't see the fight. I'm just going by what you tweeted. Sounded like the right score. Uh. Weisfeld, 115, 112 for Gidry. I'm not even going to bother watching this fight because Trevor Bryan doesn't deserve, never mind a top 10 ranking (laughs) or or that bogus world title he has. But uh, Steve Weisfeld may consider, may want to consider retiring. (laughs) I will say this. I know that it's very likely that the WBA is going to order Trevor Bryan versus Daniel Dubois. I'm going to say this right now. If that Trevor Bryan fights Daniel Dubois, almost any version of Daniel Dubois, Dubois knocks him out. Yeah. Relatively quickly. Yeah. I mean, the, Bryan... And, and Dubois know, has no business having a quasi-title after getting kill, almost killed. Well, I don't understand. By Joyce, I, I don't understand the WBA sometimes. Anyway, go ahead. Continue, Carlos. Yeah. Get like, off my soapbox. And the other thing, and, and Trevor Bryan was not... He had no head movement. He, look, and I'm saying this all respectfully, Jonathan Guidry, tremendous heart, and I hope that some promoter gives him more opportunity because he will give young fighters, give a lot of guys a lot of problems, potentially, and give and go rounds with them. Still, Trevor Bryan should have knocked this guy out. Like, this was... He almost... May try try to make this uh, his focus was into making this a really fun fight, which he did, and this was a really good fight. But I mean, this should have been a fight where Trevor Bryan he dominated, and the only thing that prevented this from being a big uh, straight up knockout in the six, seven, for eighth round was you know Gidry's chin. But still, any top heavyweight would have taken Gidry out relatively quickly. And Troy Bryan's going to need to work on a lot. His head movement was not there. His footwork eh, could have been better. Didn't really quite cut off the ring as much as he should have. So, I mean, look. If this is the if this Trevor Bryan goes up in, uh, against Andrew Dubois, Dubois wins easily. But I also believe that this was not a great Trevor Bryan performance. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that He's fought twice in the last few years, and the last time he was semi-active, at the very least, he was in his 20s. Now he's 32, 
So he's going to need to work on a lot. He's going to have to stay very active. I don't know if he's going to take a fight in the Yurtra before fighting a guy like Daniel Dubois. I don't know if he'll even have that chance, but uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Runs of the car was, uh, you know, it ranged between okay to eh, uh, inoffensive, I should say. Uh, Treshawn Wiggins versus Cody Wilson. Treshawn knocks out Cody Wilson or stops him in the, in the third round. Very impressive performance by Treshawn Wiggins, who's fought on TV a, a couple of times. He's fought guys like uh, Richardson Hitchens a couple of years ago. Even even dropped Richardson Hitchens uh, back in 2019. He's fought guys like Michael Fox as well. So, Wiggins has plenty of experience, and he really dominated Cody Wilson. Phenomenal boxing performance. As far as, like, the actual boxing, who was the best boxer of the night? I probably would give it to Treshawn. I probably would do so. And the rest of the undercard, uh, Dakari Scott wins a split decision victory over Ahmed Hefni. Scott, with a 60 and a half pound uh, advantage over Hefni is now seven to zero. Came in as a almost literal last uh, second replacement because uh, the original fighter Alonso Butler retired midweek. He retired a, a, a few days before the fight, <laughs> and which I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't know about I'm, sure, I'm sure it's happened in the past, but he retired two or three days before the fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnny Langston stops Nick Kisner in the fifth round, and then uh, Michael Moore scores a very dominant 10-round decision against Anthony Lank. So that was the actual boxing. Let me tell you about everything that happened before, uh, outside of the actual ring. So this week, so the fight week was very, very uh, intriguing, I, I should say. It all, the press conference was uh, also uh, quite a hoot. So you had uh, Ray Mancini, who also broadcasted the fight. Uh, and, and from what I was told, the commentary was not exactly great. I, I, uh, I w- wasn't paying too much attention to the broadcast, so... Uh, I have no comment on that one. But it's, you know, final press conference. Don King arrives like half an hour late. Ray Mancini tries to warm up the crowd almost to the point of, you know, awkwardly uh, of awkward hilariousness and him trying to basically trying to keep the crowd warm for Don King to eventually arrive. I remember the press conference and Ray Mancini was still like, was making like self-deprecating jokes almost at himself saying, whoa, wow, wow, this is a, this is a tough crowd here. <laughs> like just looking around nervously. Don King finally arrives. And then you go into the weigh-ins. The weigh-ins were supposed to start at one. And we and us, the media, who were basically given a small itinerary, said 1, 1 p.m., we're going to start with the two main event fights. Makabu and Mkunu and Trevor Bryan versus Gitri. Well, I get there. And we don't start at 1 p.m. We don't start on the dot because neither Trevor, uh, neither yeah. Lunga Makabu and Thompson Mkunu were present. They were not there yet. 
So they were scrambling to trying to figure out what they're going to do. And so they ultimately started with Trevor Bryant and Jonathan Guidry. They started with that fight. But not until they started with uh, trying to figure out which of the undercard fights could they possibly, at the very least, start out onto the, uh, uh, on the podium, per se, for the for um for the weigh-ins so they first announced i think it was cody wilson versus treshawn wiggins and then the mcs announces that and then someone goes to him and they, they tell him yeah no no no, we're, we're starting no we're starting with the with the heavyweight fight and then he goes hey we're starting with trevor bryan and jonathan gidry here and it's like oh boy this is gonna be a mess isn't it and then after that comes Cody Wilson and Trayshawn Wiggins. Then comes Dakari Scott against Ahmed Hefni. And as I mentioned earlier, Dakari Scott has a 60 and a half pound advantage over Hefni. Scott at 276 and a half pounds. And Hefni at a crisp Bridger weight. Uh, weight of 216. 60 and a half pounds. Then we start with, then we go with Johnny Langston. Coming in two pounds over the cruiserweight limit, needing an hour to shed the excess weight, somehow comes in at two and at one ninety nine and a half, with uh, less than an hour afterwards. I don't know what the hell he did because we were at a music hall. There ain't no sauna in there uh, for him to try to shed the weight. So I don't even know how uh, what how what happened. Then came Anthony Link, who weighed him by himself. Because his opponent did not arrive to the weigh-ins. He was also late. Then finally came Alunga Makabu. Almost half an hour after they were supposed to weigh in. But then... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. My mistake. Tabasu Kunu goes, goes there and he arrives almost a half hour late. Alunga Makabu almost, uh, arrives there almost 40 minutes late. And I was thinking, oh man, is Makabu gonna have trouble? Is he having trouble making weight? That's not like Mako. Mako's not like a hulking cruiserweight. And then, no, Makabu comes in at 197, three pounds under the cruiserweight limit, which I just felt like I, I didn't even know what was going on anymore. And Makabu and Makunu were having had a bit of a scuffle almost. After the weigh-ins, and then, and this is the also another funny, uh, relatively funny. Michael Moore comes in, the final fighter to show up at the weigh-ins, and this is almost two p.m. So almost an hour after the weigh-ins, he shows up four pounds over the limit. Damn. So. This was supposed to be an NABA middleweight title. It's a regional title. May not mean much to these fighters as far as like world title shots immediately, but it starts opening the door to getting ranked and maybe putting them in position for bigger fights. So, Moore won the fight, but because he was four pounds over the limit, he, he did not win the title. So, the title remains vacant. And so that was the whole thing with the weigh-ins. Then afterwards, we all got a chance to talk to Don. And 
I asked him about the Makabu Mkuta fight, and he basically was spinning yarn about the Canelo fight being in play for the winner. You know, being uh, uh, making this fight a lot more enticing than what it already was. I mean, you can talk about how great the first fight was, but uh, barely anyone uh, saw it. Of course, apparently, during the broadcast, I was reading some things on Twitter. Apparently, Ray Mancini said on the broadcast he had never seen the first fight. Which, I'm st- which heck of a thing to admit on the air. for When you're broadcasting a world championship fight that's a rematch... Uh, from seven years ago. Bit of a very, very interesting to sort of admit that on the air. I don't know. I, I didn't listen to it. I wasn't really paying much attention to what uh, um, Ray was saying, but that was that was a heck of a thing to admit on the air if that actually happened. But then, after the, I want to say the third fight of the pay-per-view broadcast, Don King, the broadcast, uh, the broadcast in general, have the gall to go to like a half hour, 40 minute intermission. And in the meantime, they decide to throw in and put a a 22 year old Felix Trinidad fight in the broadcast to sort of fill the time. And by the way, this wasn't just a thing for the broadcast. They actually air. Uh, they actually put the fight on the big screen at WD Packard Hall, which, uh, which is astonishing. I've never. I know this is the second time Don King has done this that I know of, but still, to actually be present in the building when that happens, it was very, very bizarre. And in that meantime, while well, that fight was being well. The uh, the uh, the Felix Trinidad Mamadou Diam fight from July two thousand was happening. They they had Don King. They they had the whole little thing with Don because it's the uh, because it was the quote unquote homecoming, uh, and they done and throughout the night they were doing these ten bell salutes to not fighters who passed away but. Quote unquote, great Americans <laughs> who passed away. And on this boxing pay per view, they decide to do a 10 bell count salute, usually reserved for boxing people. They start out with former Senator Bob Dole. And apparently, again, I would. I did not. I could not see it because the gr- big screen was behind me, which is was airing the the feed, the pay per view feed. Apparently, and I could be very wrong. Maybe someone was giving me something uh, incorrect. Apparently, they put the wrong bro- senator in the ten belt count salute. Apparently, they put Harry Reid's picture when they were trying to do a 10-bell salute to Bob Dole. That's what was reported. That, that, that's what reported, that Harry Reid's picture was shown instead of Bob Dole's. And then later on, they do an actual 10-bell count for Harry Reid. Again, these are two senators. 
And I got and listen, we know what Don King means by great Americans, very Republican, far right. I'm not making a comment or anything on the political side. Well, but- look, look, Don King has been a uh, Republican, card carrying Republican for many, 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 many years. So it's understandable. Yeah, but you don't see Bob Arum, who is a, who is pretty much the uh, opposite. You don't see yeah, him he's doing. A, he's a life. He's a lifelong Democrat, right? Uh, you never see him do. You don't see him do, anything do that. Like that. Now nah, he he would only do a ten bell for a, a fallen fighter or referee, any someone related to boxing, not anybody from the political world. Yeah, and they did a third one for uh, former broadcaster Bob Halloran. Who also who does have a presence in boxing? He wrote the uh, the boxing biography on Mickey Ward from uh, like 15 years ago. So that one that one kind of made sense. That one kind of made sense. But even well, that then, was the only one that made sense. But even then, I don't know how many people would have done a ten belt salute for Bob Hall. Nothing against him. It's just not something that you again. They usually reserve these for you know. Either fighters or you know trainers or major names in the boxing right. world. Right. I don't think you would see a top rank or card or a PBC card do something for Bob Halloran, who passed away like several weeks ago. Maybe, maybe top rank because Halloran was affiliated with top rank at one point. Well, let but, me um, well let me ask you this: Did yeah. top rank do a ten bell still for Bob? At the Martinez and no. Alpha, then no. yeah, they kind of answered no. the question, and so they decided to do all of that. And another big snafu on the broadcast, which I found out later on afterwards. The graphics team, or whoever was responsible for the graphics, how could you possibly have a "Quote unquote world class production, and you're putting your A side main eventers' stats and biographical information on the broadcast graphic, and put on his age N slash A, not available. <laughs> yes, yes. How do you not have his age? That was Macabu, right? Yes, how do you not have your world champion A sign main eventer's age with and a, a man that and a, and a man that Don King's promoted for a number of years? I I don't understand. How do you? It makes no sense. It genuinely makes no sense. Now you can. I, I've had people say, "Well, if, you know, something. You know, they they fifty age or or, or something like that." Like. No, there's got to be an age. Fine. You want to argue that it's not real? Okay, fine. But there's an age. There's a number out there. If you go to Wikipedia, it says he's 33. <laughs> you seriously can't do that? <laughs> like They could have just looked at his passport. <laughs> oh, he's 34. My mistake. He turned 34 a couple of months ago. But still, like, do you seriously do not? Like, what, what, what did they tell the Ohio Commission? You gotta give that information to the commission. Don 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 could have called Mauricio and asked. And you know, Mauricio knows all the ages of his world champions. <laughs> it's, it, like it really it it 
just it takes 10 seconds to go to the wikipedia and just find out his damn uh, age yeah this is hilarious you this don't... is hilarious oh. hey it's a it was run by a man who's half senile what do you expect I, <laughs> I expect that there would be someone out there who looks who just takes five seconds to look at all and say you know maybe there's a few things that we need to fix and I mean stuff that I don't that needs maybe elementary school level of education to fix. And I don't want to keep harping on and uh, you know ragging on the pay per view and and my my whole week because first of all, it, thank you so much to the people uh, who who handled the Don King PR thing. They were great. They were excellent to me throughout the week. And the show overall, I thought was actually good. I thought it was a good show. We got some good club level fights. We had an entertaining fight in Trevor Ryan versus Jonathan Guidry. Well, the Makabu and Kunu fight was, you know, wasn't as good as the first one, but I, it wasn't even bad. I wouldn't even call it a bad fight. It was okay. It was a horrible decision. A that, horrible decision, but yeah. that's not, uh, the, you know, but that's more on Steve Weisfeld than, uh, than the people running the show. And, you know, I, I have not had a chance to check the broadcast out, but, you know, for $50... I think I don't think I'd be asking for too much if I'm well, the I, consumer. I, I watched I watched the uh, Chunu Bakabu fight uh, with the volume completely off on mute because Ray Mancini is a horrendous, a horrendous color commentator. I don't know why PBC kept him as long as they did because he was horrible. He was horrible. He makes Joe Testator. Sound like Gil Clancy. It's just horrible. So I, I put it on mute because he's unbearable. And you're lucky you were at ringside. You didn't have to listen to his ass. Well, okay. I should actually amend that. So uh, at Media Row, so basically uh, we had actually in a live audio feed of the pay-per-view. So if you really try, you could actually have listened the entire broadcast without much trouble. But... I'm watching the fights. I'm writing the recaps. I'm tweeting about it. Let me ask you a it. question. Let me ask you a question. Can the judges hear the commentary? I don't think so. I oh, don't. good. I don't, know, good. I don't know where they were located. Because but, I don't. I do not want the judges to be affected by whatever the announcers are saying. They should have the, the, right up front row mm-hmm. watching the fight without any type of uh, bias putting in their ear so i'm glad they didn't were they weren't able to hear uh whatever the announcers were saying yeah it was kind of like like i think the audio was like a good uh, playing at media road like a good 20 25 feet from where i was sitting and but it was like the sound was kind of hitting uh, being played towards us which was like one side, like basically one quadrant of the uh, of the entire arena. So it, it basically, it's a music hall, and w- there was the music stage, which you know is at the far back. That's where the media was located at. So we all got like a good uh, eye level view of the entire fight. Which you know, first of all, I will say this: the way they had to set it up for media may have been maybe the best possible seating arrangement I could have ever asked for. 
uh, as a media member. I get a good, clear view of the fight. It's at eye level. I don't have to look up. I don't have to look way down since I'm being put in the nosebleeds like I sometimes have had when a company fights at Madison Square Garden or at the Barclays Center. It was a good, it's a good atmosphere. It was a good place for a fight. It was, I would say, about 75% full. And there was a good crowd. There was a good crowd. And I will say this. The concession stands at WD Packer Hall did not charge the foods to the point where I needed to take a mortgage out on my apartment to be able to afford <laughs> the food. I got a good, pe- I got a Pepsi, a tall Pepsi cup, and a pretzel for four bucks. And I got a program for ten dollars. So I have proof aside from my credentials. I have proof what? What? Them. Wait a minute. Hold up. You got those three items for fourteen dollars? Shit, out here in New York, uh. That would have cost about between twenty-five to thirty dollars. <laughs> the program oh, itself would have cost like twenty-five dollars in New York. Yes, yes, because yes. I know because I had because I bought programs Man, from those shows. You had you you had some bargain basement uh, prices over there. I wonder how much this this could potentially sell for, like forty years down the line. Hey, it's uh the damn they were fiftieth anniversary of Don King's first promotion. We'll see. We'll see. I will say this. Uh, I don't know if you, ever, if any of you listening to the show has ever had a chance to w- look at the poster from this weekend's card. It is one of the ugliest posters, fight posters I've ever seen in my life. It is quite atrocious. It was done. It looked like it was done in Microsoft Paint. Thirty uh, percent of the car uh, of the cards uh, of the card that was advertised on that poster uh, was outdated because. Uh, one of the fights never happened. Uh, <laughs> the Kari Scott was not on the poster, despite him fighting on the card. Alonzo Butler's name was still there, and it was. Uh, and it never got updated. It never, never got updated. They decided to run with it. So if I were to take out my press credential, I would look at. Let me see, because I have the press credential. It says. The Alonzo Butler versus Ahmed happening. The first fight at the top of this poster, which again, very, very ugly. Um, so obviously that never happened. And J1 Woods versus Sean Miller is advertised on this poster. Never happened. It that fight never happened. And then J yeah, just had a bunch of different fights. A, a bunch of it was just not good. Not not good at all. Overall, the experience was not terrible. It was not bad, but I very much enjoyed. Uh, uh, I can safely say this was one of the uh, oddest fight cards I've ever covered, and it's not like I've covered two or three cards. I've covered cards at Madison Square Garden, at the Barclays Center, in Atlantic City, in Los Angeles. This is certainly uh, one of the. More memorable ones, I can't say for good or bad, but it's one of the more memorable ones for sure. Uh, especially since this may, I don't know if this is ever going to be, if this is going to be the last card Don King ever promotes. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We thought last year was going to be his last card, so we'll see. I mean, he he might come back next year with the third fight, the trilogy, Makabu mm-hmm. M. Chudu. <laughs> It, well, if Makabu ends up fighting Canelo Alvarez, there if there's a if there's a third fight, it will not be for the title because Canelo beats Makabu. This Makabu he beats him very easily. 
Yeah, I, you know that fight's not happening. Yeah, but Don King, in his heart of hearts, believes he still has a shot. Which is funny because Canelo, according to reports, Canelo Alvarez, it's now essentially down to the two options. There's the matchroom side, which is a fight against Dimitri Bivol and a potential third fight against Gennady Golovkin. Or if he goes the PBC route, it's a May fight against Jamal Charlo. There's pros and cons to this, Robert. On the PBC side, obviously Jamal Charlo, the fight is is maybe the most lucrative. You put that on, well, you're going to put that on pay-per-view. No uh, no way you don't put that on pay-per-view, but it's a good fight. I know that people have been clamoring for Charlo to fight Canelo for years now. They finally get to do that fight. I think Canelo wins that fight. But on the other hand, Canelo goes against, uh, if he takes the matchroom uh, side, the matchroom road for his next fight. Good fight, Dimitri Bivol, which may be, right now, the trickiest fight of uh, uh, of Canelo's career been, moving saying, forward. I've been saying this for the last two years. Bivol has all the tools to beat Canelo. And that would be stupid of Canelo to make a deal where he fights Bavall then Triple G because if he loses to Bavall, there is no Triple G fight. It doesn't make sense to me. Because you know Canelo, if he loses to Bavall, is going to want an immediate rematch with Bavall. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and that, I think... that's a that, that's, that's, that's dumb. That's a dumb two-fight option because Bavall is a tough motherfucking out for Canelo. We've said this several times. That's his toughest fight out there. Yeah, I, I fully I agree with you on that one. And plus, I mean, and, and not just that, you're you're also asking Canelo Alvarez to go to go to 175 in May, then go back to 168 in September. September doesn't make sense. I, you know, it's doable, but it's not ideal. I, I like I like the PBC option where. Charlo in May and maybe Benavides in September after Benavides finally puts David Lemieux into retirement. And that and I would argue, I would argue And that's the that better may, two fight. That that's the better two fight, yeah. And I would argue as as far as what's the tougher two fight road, I would argue Charlo then Benavides yes. may be tougher than Bival plus Golovkin. And more entertaining in my in my opinion than you have these. I mean, Benavidez is one of the best young fighters out there. Action fighter. He's going to bring it to Canelo. Charlo's going to bo- try to outbox Canelo. So Canelo will have two different type of stylistic fighters to fight. I'd rather see that. It, Triple G has no shot in the world to beat Canelo. Get that out the way. And Bavall is the most dangerous opponent for Canelo out there. There's no guarantee he gets past Bavall to fight Triple G. While Charlo, I agree with you, I think he beats Charlo. And then, to me, the most mouthwatering matchup is Canelo versus Benav- uh, Benavides. Because, uh, Carlos, there's no way in the world that fight's not exciting. That's, I mean, and I know Benavides has had his, you know, disciplinary issues yeah. in the past, missing weight, testing positive for drugs. I would like to believe that. Fighting Canelo Alvarez would ensure 
those type of issues are no longer oh, happening. Oh no, no, that this is a career, this is a career making fight. He will be a hundred percent mentally, physically, and he will be at his best to fight Canelo. He's have no choice because a win over Canelo, and now he's a pay per view marketable star. Everything's on the line for for better. And if he loses to Canelo, and we know he's going to give a hundred percent, and it will be an entertaining effort. I don't see his stock going down, maybe even up, especially uh, considering I think he's going to give Canelo hell, even if he loses. I agree. I, I definitely agree uh, on that part. Um, before we kind of move on to the best uh, uh, rest of the news and notes of the week in the world of boxing, uh, we had mentioned this earlier, but bear, kind of bears repeating. Uh, Top Rank had a card this past Saturday. Xavier Martinez oh, versus Robson Conceicao. Uh, oh, we that, had thought, I, and many people had thought, that this main event was going to be a very close, very competitive 50-50 fight. Boy, we could not have been more wrong. Carlos, Carlos, uh, Xavier Martinez stayed home. That was not Xavier Martinez in the ring. That was an imposter. He did not show up. What the fuck was that? Yeah, Kazikow... Just dominates, outboxes Martinez almost every second of the fight, wins his yep. WBC title in there, 98-92, 99-91, and 190. Uh, doesn't sound like the, while this main event was happening, well, my main events in Warren, Ohio were happening, that this fight was going to be, uh, that this fight was a must-see fight, which... Hey, you, uh, I thought it was too close to call. I didn't make a prediction. You predicted Martinez... We were both wrong. Martinez was thoroughly outboxed, outpunched, outhustled. He did nothing. And I had to watch this fight a second time because after the fourth round, I was snoring because Martinez did nothing. (laughs) He did nothing. Absolutely nothing. He didn't show up. Yeah, it. you know, and and good on Consecao for... Giving, delivering a tremendous performance after the loss to Oscar Valdez back in September. Very good would, bounce back when lo- He's back in the title picture. I would love to see him fight Burchelt. I think that would be a very entertaining, excellent fight, Burchelt versus Robeson. How do, how do you say his last name? Conseco? No, I, I think it's Conseco. Conseco. Okay, good. The opposite, so. of Conseco. the opposite of Jose Conseco is Robeson Conseco. All right. Yeah. Uh, Conseco, Burchelt would be very entertaining. Yeah, it's. I think that would be a good fight. Uh, the undercard had a lot of interesting names. Stephen Shaw gets the you know, eighth round stoppage winner, uh, or Joey uh, uh, Dajko. I know I, I butchered that name. I apologize, but it's a good. Well, hopefully, step- it's the last. Hopefully, it's the last time we see Joey, uh, the perennial battering ram for heavyweights coming up. Yeah, go ahead. This was. I mean, but still, this was a good step up for Stephen uh, for Stephen Shaw. He has not had. Great competition throughout his young career, but this is a good step up, and he looked, bro, he looked pretty good. He stopped in the eighth round. The important thing was he needed rounds, cause you know he doesn't. It's not often he goes uh, deep into five, six, seven, eight rounds. So this right, was a good, right. uh, yeah. a good learning experience for him. Haven Brady Jr. gets the win. Uh, full round decision. Bruce Carrington looked damn impressive against Stephen Brown. Gets a second round knockout victory. Uh, Giovanni Cabrera, uh, a young 27-year-old prospect, looked pretty darn good against Rene Tejas-Giron. Gets an eight round decision victory. Now you can 
essentially anoint him as a prospect to maybe watch out for and see what they what top rank does with him. Uh, your favorite fighter, Nico Ali Wall. Uh, no, I <laughs> Gets the second Mr. round. Mr. Mr. Ali, Mr. Mr. Ali Shuffle. The Ali Shuffle looked like he was having convulsions in the ring. What the hell? Was... And Tessator screaming, Oh, he did the Ali Shuffle! Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, man, he... Man, becomes the second man to ever stop Jeremiah Jaeger. Not, uh, not ignoring the fact that this is his second loss, and he's only ever fought four times. But still, Nico Ali was slowly climbing those box ranks. Now number four hundred and seventy-five at middleweight. He's coming. He's slowly climbing up those rankings, Robert. I I, I hope uh, somewhere within the next two years he fights Xander Zayas at middleweight, and then we could finally put an end to this project. All right, continue. Yeah, so <laughs> that's the uh, that's the top rank card. Uh, you know, good prospects looking good on this show. Main event very very uncompetitive, but uh, you know, it was still a great performance uh, from Conseco uh, and putting himself back into the world title picture. And Robert. This I, this has been a very 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 fun past few week a few days in terms of boxing news because the fight that we have been waiting for for oh so long has finally been made. Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, yep. undisputed yep. lightweight title, April thirty uh, at Madison the, Square Garden, and uh, the undercard. The Chiefs, uh, the Chief, may, uh, the co-main event, right, is Jesse Vargas versus Liam Smith. Yep, that's was originally supposed to headline this Saturday's matchroom card, but uh, Jesse touched positive for COVID, so instead of making a new show or putting making that fight a main event elsewhere, they decided to put that on the undercard of Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, which I very much approve of. Now, quest question: Is this the big garden or the little garden? The oh, it's the big, oh, it's the big garden. Oh, you better believe it's the big garden. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna. You know, you have a nice Irish population on the East Coast. You have a tremendous Puerto Rican population in New York City alone. This should do at least fifteen thousand, at least, at least. I think this has a shot at selling the whole place out. That's why I say at least fifteen thousand, okay, yeah. and you, you might even say a sellout if they have uh, COVID restrictions as far as having the entire eighteen thousand seat arena set i could easily easily see fifteen thousand. this fight's going to do huge uh numbers at the box office yeah it's, uh, i'm very very much excited i i would argue but then, this... ag- then ed but then again uh if and you know you know better than me no contracts have been signed yet if shakur versus valdez is that same night that might take away from the audience people may stay home and watch that fight on pay-per-view i i don't know i i would argue i would argue now shakur brought had a fantastic idea which i think boxing should take note why don't you put the two shows one after the other in terms of uh starting time shakur basically said like why don't you you know i hope that they can you know, basically, you tweeted earlier today, I hope they can stagger the times for my unification with Valdez and Serrano versus Taylor for April 30. Let the ladies shine too and the fans watch both fights. 
You know what would have been done 30 years ago, 35 years ago, mm-hmm. 40 years ago, is when you have two cards like that, that uh, they would show the Shakur Stevenson fight last on the big screen in Madison Square Garden and charge the fans more money. I mean, even if it's different promoters, it used to happen all the time back in the day. It's not going to happen now, not with the zone and top rank, but I mean, think about that. Uh, but, but if you want to stagger the times, have it available in the movie theaters. There's, the, there's a, a AMC movie theater two blocks away from Madison Square Garden that if they were to stagger the times, you could go see the Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor fight, then walk a couple of blocks down, pay a ticket to go see Stevenson Valdez on, on close circuit in the movie theater. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that you can do. I think that if I'm... You gotta do the. I might be. You should do it. This is the best. This is the arguably the best women's fight of all time. Carlos, if you stagger the times, it's not going to give people enough time with Midtown Manhattan traffic to get from the fight back home to watch the pay per view. It would be easy to go to the local uh, movie theater. Uh, Yeah, but are you really? But do you really not do it just because? New York, it's uh, uh, you know, fifteen thousand New Yorkers aren't able to watch the may, may not have a chance to watch the Shakur Stevenson, uh, Oscar Valdez. But I mean, there's a good chance it's going to be simulcast on ESPN Plus that you're going to have a chance to watch it on demand. It will, uh, but this is going to be a pay per view fight, right? The what? Stevenson Valdez. Uh, that's a, actually that's a good question. I don't know. It only I makes don't I, I don't think I don't think that fight's going to be an ESPN Plus or ESPN card. I'm thinking this is going to be like Terrence Crawford versus uh Sean Porter, where you have to order the app to get the pay per view. It I only mean, makes sense. Boy, I I don't know. think about it. What I mean, do you what do you, gun to your head? Is this an ESPN Plus fight or is this a pay per view fight? I think that gun to my head. I think that's it lands on ESPN TV and ESPN uh, pay per view. Uh, ESPN Plus, I should say. Arab's not going to maximize his profits for this fight. This is a pay per view fight. I mean, I understand what I you you you're probably right, but if you were the promoter, would you put this on pay per view? Especially considering the well, then again, you have a pay per view. You're going to have Canelo the following week that'll eat into your pay-per-view. Yeah, all right, ESPN. I I, I forgot Canelo fights on pay-per-view the following week. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I, yeah. So either way, and, and if you want to do the inverse, I mean, Taylor Serrano's going to go on on the zone, so you'll have a chance to watch it on demand uh, the following day or whenever. Now let me let me ask you a question. What what's the leading venue again for uh Valdez Stevenson? Is it Vegas, California? Uh I'm not entirely sure. Uh I'm not sure. They're still trying to iron out the final details of that, so I'm not sure. And we know and listen, and you know, we've seen sites change almost at the last second. I mean, hell, we we had it the Chris Colbert Roger Gutierrez fight. It had a million different fi- different venues before it ultimately settled on Las Vegas. So I'm I'm not sure 100% myself, so I I really don't know how to how to answer uh, on that one. 
But still, this is a going back to the fight. This is a fantastic because if it's in California, that fight's probably not going to happen till eleven o'clock midnight, which will definitely stagger the time. Being that the East Coast card will start before the West Coast card. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. Um. But you know, but the fight, but Taylor. It's, it's too bad. It's too bad you can't be in two places at once covering. That's right. <laughs> But Taylor versus Serrano, the fight itself is a fantastic fight. It's arguably the biggest women's fight in history. And it's it's, it's if it's not if it's not one, it's two. Uh man, this is this this is and you know, this could be a big year in, in women's boxing because you might have uh Baumgartner in a unification fight later on, uh Savannah Marshall and uh uh, Clarissa Shields. I mean, hell, and on the undercard of Taylor Serrano, you have Frank John Cruz de Cern versus Ellen Sederus for the undisputed super middleweight title. So you have yet another undisputed uh, women's champion crown in boxing, which, I mean, you, you have you have Taylor, you have uh, Jessica McCaskill at 147, you have mm-hmm. now you got the winner of Cruz Zern versus Ellen Sederus. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of unification fights being made, a lot of bigger fights in women's boxing happening more regularly, which is great. And I really hope that this fight, uh, I think this fight will deliver. I think this fight will be tremendous. Uh, now, speaking of another, uh, speaking of other fights that may, uh, that could very well happen, but it's not official. Boy, we got to talk about this Tyson Fury and Dillian White purse bid. It finally happened. And the purse bid ended up being what the it's I believe this ended up being like the biggest purse bid in. No, I'll... no, no, it was not. It was one of the biggest purse bids in history. Uh, we uh, that ultimately ended with Queensbury Promotions winning the purse bid for Tyson Fury uh, versus Dillian White, and both these guys getting a monster uh, number. The final, I think, the winning bid, if I remember correctly, was forty-one million dollars. Uh, I think that actually ended up being the uh, actually does end up being the uh, biggest per- winning purse bid in history, which I think the l- other one was Vladimir Klitschko versus Alexander Povetkin, and that did not do $41 million. And, well, it's happening. It's happening. $41,025,000. of that is going to be paid to the winner as a victory bonus. So, Tyson Fury gets... 80% of it, $31,938,000. And Dillian White gets $7,984,500. Not bad for an 80-20 split. Uh, I, I'm sure Dillian White wants even more than that. But... Is this, is, this case, is this case still ongoing or it's a done deal? Um, I don't... I'm not entirely sure. I wouldn't doubt it if maybe Dillian White is still going to fight it in some regards because it's not like this purse bid happened with the blessing of Dillian White. 
Yeah, that's why I ask. Yeah, yeah. so I don't know. Uh, he may still fight it. I think there's still something going on in uh, next month. But I hope this fight just finally happens, just so we can go, sort of move on with it. It's a good fight. I think Dillian White is still at a level where he can provide entertaining fights. And Tyson Fury is coming off of two very, very entertaining fights. Uh, I think Tyson Fury does ultimately beat Dillian White. But I, I, only way Fury loses is if he gets caught like he did against uh, Deontay Wilder. And I know people say, oh, he, 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 he's gotten up. Eventually, he's not going to get up. So hopefully his defense is better this fight because he should be able to dominate White. But, you know, dom- White catches him with one shot. Anything's possible. But I agree with you. I see Fury winning. Yeah. And hopefully a- this will finally be the end of Dillian White, who, in my opinion, is the most overrated number one contender in the history of heavyweight boxing. I'm <laughs> tired of seeing his ass. Now, the big, big uh, shocking news from this past uh, from these past few days is yeah that yeah my cat yeah my my cat's also very excited. I don't know if you heard that, but my cat just uh, you know, yeah uh, he uh, yeah I heard your cat say better be F. <laughs> there you go. He just said it again. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. For the listeners, uh, this is Ashley Joe, my cat, who is uh, very impatient. She's trying to claw at our uh, office closet door so yeah she is there ash don't do that <laughs> i'm gonna have to let her be for now and hopefully she doesn't make yeah. trouble um better be versus joe smith jr that's not the news i was referring to but it's still fairly big uh they are in talks for a three belt unification at light heavyweight only thing uh, report according to reports the only thing that may that is being a major hurdle is the financials and that being that joe smith wants 1.8 million and Archer better be if I mean uh, Joe Smith Jr. wants 1.58 million while they're only offering him 1.5 million dollars. So it, I, I hope they pony if someone ponies up that extra three hundred thousand dollars. I don't know who, but I hope they pony up because that's a fight that should have been that should be made by now. And yep, I agree. I mean, both of these guys have their bouts with COVID. They're both fine. They came off of title defenses not too long ago. Just make the damn fight already, please. And I now the news I was referring to was Jesse Bam Rodriguez is going to fight Carlos Quadras this Saturday for the vacant WBC Super Flyweight title. Sarissic and Sorum Visai tested positive. Well, okay, no, you didn't test positive for COVID. Let me actually more specifically say uh, read. What Matchroom uh, said. Uh, Rum Visai is out of the Quadras fight through a non-COVID-related illness. He was taken ill in the fl- in the fight hotel having arrived in Arizona on Wednesday. Last Wednesday. So, so Rum Visai is out of the rematch against Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Rodriguez, a, maybe about as good of a blue chip prospect as you'll ever find in boxing right now. Suddenly, now jumping to 115, he's typically a guy at 108 and 112. Now jumps to 115 pounds with not even a week to prepare for Carlos Quadras. 
and gets his first world title shot in the main event. The new, new main event of this Saturday's Matchroom Boxing card in Phoenix. I, I gotta say, Robert, I'm so intrigued by this development. First of all, I hope Storm of Visai, uh is uh, recovers, makes a full recovery. Hey, a uh, question, Carlos. Was Bam Rodriguez training for another fight? He was. He was training for another fight. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, but right. this, but that, that was going to be at one twelve, okay. and it was. I wouldn't say it was an. Uh, no, because uh, uh, I, I would, I wouldn't want him going up against a world class fighter like Quadras, uh, just now going into the ring and start <laughs> sparring mm-hmm. and training a week before a fight. But if he was already scheduled to fight somebody else, all right. So. He, he, he nothing was disrupted. Nothing was started. He was already training. Um, I'm picking Bam. I think he's going to shine against a guy who I believe is past his prime. I see Bam winning this fight and throwing a monkey wrench into the plans of the WBC. And now Bam is the guy that could fight a Chocolatito or a or or or, or Estrada or. A Julio Cesar Martinez. I mean, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You you're throwing in this young. He's no longer a prospect now. He's a contender. This young lion into the mix. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I love it when these young guys are getting an opportunity to fight. Uh, whether regardless of whether I think they're ready, I do like it that they're getting a shot. That I mean, look, we've been saying for a long time Jesse Ben Rodriguez is the guy who's going to win a world title. Uh-huh. I don't think anyone could have possibly imagined that this was going to be the way it was uh, going to happen. But, as you say, Robert, Jesse Bam Rodriguez is more than capable of pulling this off. Quadras is past his prime. He's long in the you know. tooth. He's ready to be taken. And, you know, Bam Rodriguez is a phenomenal young fighter. coming with, He comes in with so much energy and a lot of firepower. For ultimate, cro- ultimate crossroads fight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the, uh, unless uh, unless Bam Rodriguez just gives a, just puts an absolute stinker, this is almost a win win for for Jesse Rodriguez. He, even with a good showing, I think his stock goes up, and if he wins, boy, this is gonna be boy, that's gonna be a, a, a huge hey, the best case range. scenario. For the 115 pound division is for Bam to win. You throw in that youthful exuberance. You throw that in the mix with the Chocolatitos, the Estradas, and the Song Ring size, man. And now you're setting up, and the Julio Cesar Martinez is, you're setting up the future division fighting the now, the present, and past of the division. I love it. You. This is a this is a great script that could be written out beautifully. Yeah, it's uh, man. Yeah, you're right. Julio Cesar Martinez is also now in the mix. Man, this is I don't. This is not how anyone could have possibly envisioned the 115 pound division to go. And it's unfortunate that it came at the expense of Sorumvisai and Estrada. Going down with illnesses, one being COVID, the other not. Although he's not yeah, but really you know what? Place. You need it, the infusion of new blood in that 115-pound division because it's been the same four guys the last, what has been, 
five, six, seven years. Almost, so, yeah. So you throw it in this these two young lions, Martinez, who's an absolute beast, and Bam, one of the best young fighters on the planet. Man, you couldn't ask for two better replacements. You could you could make an argument that these are better fights than the ones that were scheduled. Whew. I'm very excited for this one. I'm going to... Man. So no I longer love, it's a four-man tournament. It's a six-man tournament. <laughs> I love Jesse Bain Rodriguez. You know what? Why I'll go out on a limb and say Bam Rodriguez wins this with a very, very close decision, like razor thin. Because even if Quadras is past his prime, he all he still almost beat Estrada a couple of years ago. Now, the question is, how much did that fight take out of him? Because that was a hellacious fight for both of those guys, especially Quadras. He's been in a lot of wars. Bam is Bam is fresh. He's young. He's been in no wars. I also agree, Bam by decision, but Bam by comfortable decision. Uh, matter of fact, I, I see him dominate the second half of the fight. As we've seen in the past, Quadras in the second half of his fights against all the greats has uh, faulted with stamina-wise. Uh, Bam by unanimous, convincing decision, putting him in the mix with the legends, Sarung Vasai, Estrada, and Chocolatino, who I believe those three fighters will one day all go into the International Box Hall of Fame. Quadras, no, he's the worst of the four. Yeah, I yeah, I think this will make for a terrific, a terrific fight that I'm definitely gonna tune in. There's another fight that we got on, Saturday. and it's a great appetizer for mm. Martinez versus Chocolatito next. It week. is, it is. Now we got another fight card on Saturday. It's a pay per view card, the second PBC on pay per view uh, card this year. This time, Keith Thurman making his two and a half year return. Against Mario Barrios, we last saw fight Gervonta Davis in what was a very good, very entertaining pay-per-view main event on Showtime uh, last year that Barrios ultimately ended up losing. You know, for the longest time, I've had trouble trying to decide on a winner. Because, one, we just had a guy in Gary Russell Jr., Returned to the ring after two years and just put out a stinker. Granted, Keith Thurman, we hope that he is exponentially healthier than Gary Russell Jr. Uh, was a couple of weeks ago. And I think Keith Thurman is, isn't dealing with the same level of personal issues that Gary was dealing with a couple of years ago. And I do still believe those play a significant role in his loss to Mark Messiah. But... The last time Keith Durham was out of the ring for an extensive period of time, it was after he beat Danny Garcia. Afterwards, he had surgery to, uh, and he had uh, injuries piling up. He didn't return until January of 2019. And he did not look great against Josecito Lopez. He almost, he got, almost got knocked down. Lopez staggered his ass. And then he didn't exactly look great. And then he also didn't look spectacular against Manny Pacquiao later that year. 
So now we're going on almost five years since the last time Keith Thurman had what I would say a great a performance. Great performance. Right. Last time right. was Danny Garcia. That was in March of 2017. We're in February of 2022. Five years is a long time. And just like I had mentioned with Trevor Bryan much earlier in the show, the last time he had a great performance, uh, he was in his 20s. Thurman's now in his 30s. I don't know for sure what version of Mario Barrios, uh, of Keith Thurman, uh, we're going to see. If it's the same Thurman that we saw against Josecito Lopez, which is very possible, it's very, very possible. Mario stands a great chance of winning this fight. And I think this fight, if it also depends on also how Mario looks because he got battered pretty hard by Javante Davis yep. last June. So this is a very bizarre fight. One, it's two guys headlining a pay-per-view one is a former welterweight champion who hasn't fought in two and a half years. The other is a junior welterweight moving up in weight, coming off of a loss. So there's a lot of things that it. And by the way, it's the those each of these two guys are coming off their first loss in the pros. There's a lot of variables that we honestly cannot account for, and I guess in that sense, that's what makes this fight very intriguing, because you really don't know what to expect. Thurman's been in some very good fights. Barrios has been in some very good fights. But that was when they were both active. Neither guy can, you know, has been super active. I mean, Barrios is, you know, eight months is a, you know, kind of a long time, but it's significantly shorter than Thurman's two and a half years. So, this, I'm so reluctant on picking Keith Thurman to win this fight. I don't know what he has left. It's entirely possible that he may look good because now he's healthier than ever before. And it's not like he hasn't been preparing. He's been preparing for... He's sort of been... He was offered a fight last year uh, on, on, an empty, on an empty arena. So that would indicate that Thurman had been at the very least physically healthy to fight since last year. It's just that Thurman just did not want to fight in front of no audience. But, you know, against a fighter as potentially dangerous as Mario Barrios, you kind of think, you kind of wonder, maybe he should have taken a, a fight in Andrew. It could have been a, you know, could have been a very soft touch-up, and at, that's, at the very least, it would have been something. It would have been something. So, I'm going to pick Keith Thurman with a close decision win i don't i genuinely do not know what power keith Thurman possesses at this stage of his career he hasn't had a win inside the distance since july 2015 when he beat luis Goyaso. and then before that it was julio diaz in april of 2014 so now that's eight years and only two stoppage wins and I don't see Thurman being as aggressive and as strong as Gervonta Davis was. And it took Gervonta Davis the, up to the 11th round, late into the yep. 11th round, to yep. get that stoppage victory. So I don't know. I think I genuinely do think that Thurman, uh, Thurman at his best, would beat Mario Barrios fairly easily, I, I would say. 
I, I agree. I I agree with your total analysis of this fight. Uh, I see Thurman winning a very close split decision or one point, two points on the scorecards. This was a unanimous decision. I think he's going to try and box and try and gut this win out because you could answer this for me. Rumors are that I've heard, and you could verify if this is true or not, that he gets Crawford if he wins this fight. Is that true? Uh, I don't I'm not sure. What do you do? You think? Do you think that's the next step if he wins against Barrios? I would think that may could. I would argue you you can argue that's a logical step. I mean, hell, hell, that's what I've been kind of fantasy booking for the last two months or so. Uh, but as far as actually becoming a reality. I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely sure. I, again, a lot of it could also very well depend on what the hell happens with this Crawford top rank lawsuit. How much is Crawford going to diverge his attention and resources away from negotiating with other promoters or prepping for the next fight because of this lawsuit? So I don't know. So, but hell, I've been saying this for months. Thurman versus Crawford as Crawford's introduction to. The, the PBC universe, I think that's the fight that makes sense if Thurman wins this fight. Thurman is still a name that a lot of people know. Back in his heyday, Thurman was arguably the best TV draw in all of boxing. It's would make for a decently attractive fight on pay-per-view. So if so if Thurman loses, do you think Barrios gets a shot at Crawford? If Crawford if Barrios wins? Also possible. It's also very possible. Uh, you know, the, the the winner could be in line for a shot at uh, Terrence Crawford. It's very possible, and I don't think anyone would really complain about that at, at this point. Now, granted, Thurman... no. If 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 Barrios beats Thurman, he earns a title shot. Um, if Thurman wins, you know, he he uh, he holds steady and he gets hopefully that one last uh big money fight because. Thurman's not beat. This this version of Thurman has no shot in the world against Terrence Crawford. Uh, I don't care how good he looks Saturday night. He's past his prime. You can't fight twice in five years and beat Terrence Crawford. It's not happening. No, no. The rest of the pay-per-view card uh, looks like this. Uh, first of all, uh, Jesus Ramos versus Vladimir Hernandez is now on the pay-per-view after Josecito Lopez versus Abel Ramos uh, gets called off after Lopez suffered an injury during training. Which is a damn shame because Josecito Lopez versus Abel Ramos had the potential of being the best fight on that on that pay-per-view card. Yeah, that would that would have been a war. But you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm loving the progression of Jesus Ramos' career. So I'm glad now he, he gets to shine on the pay-per-view. Yeah, absolutely. And Abel Ram, uh, Jesus Ramos is... I honestly had him as my prospect of the year last year because I think that he took... I, I, can't, I can't argue with that. That's an excellent choice. He, he took massive leaps in his progression against very good world-ranked opponents and looked pretty darn good in doing so. Uh, and I think Ramos can still improve even more. And Vladimir Hernandez, good on Vladimir for getting the on getting a big fight on pay-per-view uh after he had a very very uh good win 
against Julian Williams last October. Yeah, I mean, this he's this, on this. It's on this, a roll, by the way. This is a great step up for Ramos. If Ramos shines here, you could make an argument that he should be in the junior middleweight mix after uh, Charlo leaves the division. Yeah, he's on. As I mentioned, junior middleweight is a division that constantly keeps get, churning yep. out new stars. On how a, far would a how far would a Fedora Ramos fight be? Ooh, that'd be fun. That'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, rest of the pay-per-view looks like this. Leo Santa Cruz versus Keenan Carbajal. Santa Cruz returns to 126 after what seems to be an almost infinite amount of time since his last fight at 126. More specifically, uh, February of 2019. So three years since the last fight at 126. Uh, Santa Cruz's future 126 is on the line. If he loses or just quite doesn't look great or doesn't feel great at 126 against Carbajal, it's possible... Uh, Santa Cruz abandons that division altogether. We'll see about that. Carbajal. It, Which, you know what? Carlos doesn't make any sense because Santa Cruz's power does not, it is not existed mm-hmm. at 126. What's he going to do at 130? I mean, I don't know. Like, there's always still that allure for some of these fighters to quote unquote yeah. win, the t- uh, win more titles at higher weight classes. Um, I don't know. But at the 130 is stacked. What's he going to do? I don't know. <laughs> if I'm being, hey, he's look, got uh, no shot at what the, he just. You know, you know what? Well, hold on. You know, how about this? How does Chris Colbert, if he beats Roger Gutierrez, Leo Santa Cruz sound? Uh, Colbert will mop the floor with Santa Cruz. But, but that's a good main event. It's a good main event. It's a good name for Colbert's record. But if he, Santa Cruz has no shot in the world of beating Colbert, hmm. Colbert. So. Stephen Colbert. Chris, my name's not Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Um, it would be a nice win on Colbert's record, but uh, Santa Cruz not winning that fight. Uh, as far as this one, I think Santa Cruz is going to win. Oh, no. Santa Cruz should end. He should stay at featherweight. I He's agree. got nothing for the guys at 130. I, I fully agree with you on that one. Also on the pay-per-view, Luis Neri coming off of the loss to Brandon Figueroa going up against the unbeaten Carlos Castro. Uh, Looking damn good, this young kid Castro is. Let me I, tell you something. This, this, Derry's career is on the line. I mean, and I'm picking Castro to win. If Castro knocks out Derry, uh, where's Derry going? I, oh, I don't know. That's and a- just a couple of years ago, he was considered one of the two, three most dangerous fighters in the world. What the hell happened? He moved up from 118 to 122, went back down. What, what happened to his power? It disappeared. Uh, I'm going to say that. I've been saying it for a long time. Nettie's power, Nettie never fully transitioned his power from 118 to 122. No, and I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't, I would not, I, it would not surprise me at all. It may have had some external help when it comes to that power of 118, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, He's failed yeah, drug well, tests in the past before. Tw- twice, twice when uh, he destroyed the legendary bantamweight champion from Japan. Both times, right? He failed. Uh, Shinsuke uh, Yamanaka, yeah, yeah. Both times against Yamanaka, he. Uh, well, no, no, he failed the drug test. Positive, on, he, right? he, failed, he failed the drug test on the first one, and then on oh, the second and, one, he didn't make weight. Right? Yes, he didn't. Make, yeah, okay, all right, okay. Yeah, yeah no, right. he. I don't know. I, he, 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 and I've said this for a long time. 
ever since he moved to 122 or, or signed with PBC, his post Shinsuke Yamanaka career has been horrible. I've said this horrible. for a long time, and I know there's some people who uh, were kind of clowning me on this when I first said this, but and I still stand by it. Nettie has not looked great since uh, signing with PBC. It all no, he ultimately no. won a title and he got the unification against Brandon Figueroa and the fight was very very good. But his power just didn't translate. I, I've, I've been saying this for a long time. His power just and there are some fighters which, which doesn't which doesn't make sense. He only going up four pounds. I, you know how many bantamweights moved up and carried their power with him? With Fredo Gomez, Jeff Fennick. There's a whole bunch. Why is it different with Nery? I don't understand it. Well, first of all, it's because Luis Nery is not Jeff Fennick or, uh, <laughs> or, or, or any of those guys. He's absolutely not one of them. <laughs> case, case made. <laughs> But yeah, Castro has a real good shot at becoming one of the top contenders at yep. at 122 pounds if he wins against Nettie. Maybe I give I give Nettie credit for one thing though. Since going to PBC, he's fought tough opposition. I mean, I, I give that credit. I mean, he gets knocked out by Figueroa in his next fights against Castro. I mean, he, it's not like they throwing him a. A, a gimme. He's fight tough guys. You're right. You're right. And hell, the winner of this fight may very well have a title shot uh, in their sights down the road. It's still very possible. Yep. Now, there is... Now, for those of you who want to at least witness a part of this Durban versus Bodygo's pay-per-view, uh, there is a... Uh, without necessarily having to pay $75 for the pay-per-view, uh, there is a Fox TV card... Uh, happening on this uh, event that's going to air at 7 p.m. two hours before the pay-per-view starts at 9 p.m. Abel Ramos versus Luke Santa Maria and Omar Juarez versus Ryan Carl. Two potentially very fun TV fights that uh, Ryan Carl is uh, the Caleb Truax of that division. A perennial jobber who always gives it a thousand percent but always ends up on the losing side. <laughs> and, and it's an overall, I and there's a couple of good, actually I would argue some very good fights on the non-TV card. Most notably, Enrico Gogokia versus Kent Cruz, a battle of unbeaten fighters at 140 yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised this fight, there's no TV outlet for that fight, man. I, I I'm disappointed in that. I and I, I don't know if PBC is going to stream these fights on uh, on YouTube or on social media. I have not heard anything about that. It could still very well happen, but because yeah, PBC does have a YouTube channel and, and you know Premier Boxing Champions have their own channel. Yeah, which uh sometimes they'll show off-air fights that didn't appear on. Fox or the pay-per-view. So maybe down the line, we'll we'll see this on YouTube. Uh, but uh, I don't think they ever li- fight uh, air live YouTube fights, but they do have a channel that from time to time show fights that were never aired on television before. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the PBC YouTube channel, and they have upcoming streams for the main event press com- press conference, undercard press conference, the weigh-ins, and the post-fight press conference, but nothing no, on no, no, the... No, they never do. They never do. Yeah, so... Which is sad. You, That's an easy avenue to take advantage of, and they don't. Now, here's a couple... Now, also on the non-TV, uh, non-TV card, there's actually... Two of Fernando Vargas' sons fighting on, on the undercard. Fernando Vargas Jr. and Amanda Vargas. I would have been very I would I would have been interested in seeing those two guys. Because, yeah, I mean hopefully hopefully we get clips of those. At least clips highlight something. Yeah, yeah, at the very, very least. Uh yeah. It's been a very it's gonna be a very, very long weekend of boxing. Uh or long Saturday, uh I, I should say, so so you better, uh, y'all better strap yourselves in because this is gonna be potentially a very newsworthy Saturday uh, of boxing. So, unless Robert, you have anything else that you want to add? Uh, you you covered everything. Go ahead, do the outro. All right, Robert. Where can the good people read your work and find you on social media? Uh, Twitter. My handle is Robert Silver five seven six eight. Uh, you can read all my articles on our parent website, fightgamemedia.com. Like I mentioned, each and every week, I'm doing a series of articles called The 45 Greatest Fighters of the Last 45 Years. I'm almost done with my number 21. I'll submit it to Garrett. It'll be published as soon as possible. And that's on Felix Trinidad. And one thing I wanted to mention, they showed on the pay-per-view Felix Trinidad versus Mamadou Dion, right? Uh, yes. that was the That was the last fight my father and I saw on television together. It was telecast on HBO, July 22, 2000. A day later, he had pains, and we had to rush him to the hospital. He was battling throat cancer, and he died on July 30, 2000. So July 22, 2000, uh, Trinidad's one-sided, it was a brutal beating of yeah. Theon. Uh, he almost blinded Theon for life. That was a brutal beating. It was the last fight my father and I saw together, and I'll mention that in the article as well. Uh, very, it's a, It'll be an all-encompassing article of his career from his uh, early days in Puerto Rico and his title win over Maurice Blocker, his destruction of Maurice Blocker at the age of 20. Uh, 15 title defenses in welterweight, controversial win against Oscar De La Hoya, his junior middleweight uh, run, that incredible, I still consider it the greatest 154-pound fight of all time against Fernando Vargas. And then, of course, the one-sided beating of William, William Joppy that I was there. I was there at the Garden. It was the loudest I ever heard Madison Square Garden. I mean, he got damn uh, Carlos. He piled drove. Joppy with a right hand into the canvas. And then, unfortunately, the one-sided beating at the hands of Bernard Hopkins. He was never the same. He should have retired that night because he was a shell of himself. And, man, he was washed up at 28. So all of that will be in the article. You can also find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro Media. And read my work also on Fight Game Media. And that'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carl Storer. We'll see you all in the next one. We'll see you all in uh, after a very, very busy weekend of fights. And hope you all enjoy it. And we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye, everyone.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.